Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Father, we just come before you and we just want to bless your name as scripture calls us to. We want to glorify you, Lord. It's your name that's above all names. And we thank you for it. It's in your name that we gather this morning to declare that you are worthy and declare your worth. And Father, we just thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord, that you so freely give to us, Lord, that you called us here to do so. And Lord, may we submit to you in all things this morning. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would have free reign. Lord, as we respond to your word and what you're doing in our lives, may we lay down those burdens. May we seek your holiness and pursue it with all that we have. Thank you for bringing us together this morning. Father, we just thank you for the benders. Lord, they have a rich history of serving you here in this local assembly. And we thank you, Lord, that that relationship has continued even as we have switched pastors and administrations and so many other things. Lord, what transitions that is a love for your gospel and a love for you. And we thank you, Lord, that we can continue this and we look forward to continuing in their ministry. I pray now that you be with both of them. I pray that you be with their health. I pray that you would just put favor on them, continue to give them the strength and Father, when things are in dire, when, when the hip is still struggling or the knee, Lord, I pray that you would just remind them of the travails of, of Paul. And Lord, that we know as he continues that he is living in your strength and no one else. I pray that you find favor with them in San Diego and the ministries that they're transitioning to and are really more than transitioning, but deep into. Thank you for giving them favor. Continue to open up their heart. He has such a large heart, both of them for people. They love people. And so, Father, let that continue to grow. And in the same way, Lord, may we return to them the love they're giving out. Lord, may they receive that type of love. And let us do that with our prayers. Let's just do that with our support with them. Father, there's many needs that they have. I pray that some of our people today will just take care of that. Not just pray about it, but take care of it. Let us love the body. Let us build the body, encourage the body by supporting the body. Let us excel in the grace gift of giving. And Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we can do so. And Father, I just pray blessings on our church. Lord, as we continue in missions, may we love people. May we look on them with compassion. And I pray that you would just grant them the favor they need to continue in their ministry. Thank you for their love. Thank you for the support they have. And Lord, may it ever be growing. We pray this in the name of Christ who they proclaim to those who have never heard him or have not heard of him as the Son of God, the one, the Savior of the world. Amen. Morning, church. Good to be here. Worship team, good job. Wow. And that last song, I was an orphan running from God, literally. My mantra in the 60s was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's about all I remember from the 60s. God is good. Amen. I'm a little disappointed, though, because I want to see Emily if they'd let you sing up here with pink hair. I guess now I'll never know. Ten years. God brought you and Don here. We had long hair back in those days, right? I am so glad God called you guys here and you were obedient to that call. Thank you, church, for loving us, for supporting us, for praying for us. There is some literature back there. I'm, it's going to take me a while to get used to you changed my lights. 
you moved my sound booth. It's all good. I like the improvements in 208, the foyer, everything. It's all good. It looks really, really cool, but freaking me out a little bit. Oh, hi, sound guys. Used to be like, used to be like way up there in the cheap seats. Oh, it's so much fun. It's so, it's just, it's an adventure walking with the Lord. Um, we're still with Takati Mission International. Uh, we never dreamed when we started getting a vision for pairing up Latino people with the Muslim world. We had no idea that, that God would eventually tap on our shoulder and say, hey, I want you to get some of that too. Matter of fact, I preached in a church just about like this one time, preached my heart out, did a PowerPoint. Afterwards, I'm all sweaty and hot, and I'm standing in the front. People come up, do the meet and greet, and they want to hug me and all that. Don't do that with a fat, bald guy after he preaches, because I'm all just wet and flustered and everything, and I'm standing up there, and they're asking me questions about Muslims and everything. And this one old boy, he's like, so how many Muslims have you led to the Lord? And I said, well, uh, none. And he said, well, how many are you working with? I said, well, none. And I'm thinking in my mind, I live in a campground in Potrero. I'm technically a missionary to Mexico. I hang out in Tecate in Mexico most of the time. I'm thinking all these things. I'm a recruiter. I'm a fundraiser. I'm a mobilizer. And I'm thinking all these wonderful things. And there's no Muslims where I live. They're all Mexicans and Americans. And the guy starts poking me. He actually reaches out, Pastor, and starts poking me and says, let me get this straight. So you just stood up there and preached for 45 minutes telling us to do something that you're not doing. And I heard that Charlie Brown wah, 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 wah voice in the back of my head. I think I had just done that. And I wanted to argue or justify or defend myself or tell him all those things about being a missionary mobilizer and recruiter and all those wonderful things that I thought, and the Spirit of God started tapping me. Don't you love it when God comes and messes with your world and starts changing things all around? And the Holy Spirit, as only the Spirit of God can do, said, you know, son, he's got a really good point. You're telling Christians to pray for, to reach out to, and to love Muslims, and you've never even met one. So long story short, and pastors tracked with me a little bit, we've tried to hook up with all kinds of groups and agencies to facilitate this, and the quick version of the story is there's all kinds of good agencies and missionaries and trainings and people doing stuff. God just transplanted our heart, ripped us out of Mexico, out of Potrero and Tecate. We still have an office in Tecate. Deb and I still go to the mission at least one day a week. We'll still serve under our board of directors. But I went to the board and I said, God's doing something. May I please have your permission to work in the U.S. and reach out to immigrants, refugees, and Muslim people. And it so freaked out our executive board after my wonderful presentation and my white paper and my appeal to the director and all that. The board met, considered it, and said no. So I shot them. No, no, no I didn't. No. Uh, they said not exactly no. They said we'd like to ask you to wait. So I waited. I obeyed. I submitted to authority. They reconvened three months later and they said, because you didn't argue, complain, oppose us, because you were submissive, we've thought about it, we prayed about it, we see your heart, we see that God is moving. And they said, okay, go ahead. 
I didn't know what to do. I started going to a place called El Cajon. I'm now the missions pastor of a small Southern Baptist church. I'm still full-time missionary. Relax. I'm not really a Southern Baptist. That's a whole story in and of itself. I go to all these meetings, conventions, and everything, and I'm like, hmm, dude, I ain't really a Southern Baptist. But anyhow, I'm there. We have a service in Arabic, English, a chapel about this big, and there's people from 13 nations. Pastor's black. One of the associates is white. We've got a Vietnamese pastor and an Arabic-speaking pastor, and we're multi-ethnic, multicultural, and I'm having just a blast. We have English and all kinds of stuff going on that we're reaching out in the community and a food bank and ministry to the homeless and training young people and just all kinds of really cool stuff. There's never a dull moment. One of my students, Susan from Iraq, comes in class one day and she says, teacher, teacher, I need liar. I said, what? She said, I need liar. You need a liar? Yes, I need a liar. I said, what? What do you need a liar for? Part of my brain, the wise guy part of me is going, you got one, but I didn't say that. What do you need a liar for, Suzanne? She said, oh, paperwork and, and immigration and, and passport and all these things. I said, oh, you need a lawyer. She said, yeah, 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 lawyer, liar. <laughs> you know, they're... Sorry, Doug. I shouldn't have told a, shouldn't have told a lawyer joke. <laughs> I tried to explain the humor in that. Just She did not get the humor at all, so we just started the class and went right on about our business. Well, what in the world is God doing? I stand here in obedience to the call that God placed on my life more than 40 years ago to teach and preach. The thing that's been difficult is that in church work and in missions, there's a lot of saturation and duplication. Debbie and I's heart is and has always been to work with people that don't have access to the gospel, to plant a church in a village where there is no church. So if we travel up in the mountains of Chiapas, Mexico, Oaxaca, and we get there after hours and hours of travel, and we pass Apostolic Church and Calvary Chapel and Presbyterian Church, we don't want to go there. You get what I'm saying? We, we don't need 13 churches on every corner. The Christians in Mexico, and I know they'd never do this here, but the Christians in Mexico just sort of hop from church to church to church. I know that doesn't happen in the U.S. It would never happen in the U.S., but it's really prevalent. Debbie's a homemaker. Stand up, sweetie, again. You clap for Debbie. We were in the home of some Muslims a couple weeks ago, and they were amazed that we'd been together serving the Lord and in ministry for 43 years. And they're like, teacher, it's a long time. I said, yeah, it's really. I said, it's funny because we don't even really like each other. But it's too late to change. That's a joke, y'all. <laughs> Debbie says, don't tell jokes. My kids say, Dad, don't try to be funny. Don't try to be cool. Just say what you're supposed to say. Okay, no more humor. Let's just get into it. But Debbie is a homemaker, takes care of me, takes care of eight grandchildren from time to time, and is my ministry partner. And we have found the secret of reaching homes of internationals. We have a secret weapon. We take our grandson, the baby, with us. 
They open the door and they go, teacher, baby. (laughs) And he's a really, really big hit. So Debbie and the baby travel with us a lot. This morning, I want to remind all of us, as we've sung this morning already, the greatness of our God. Because I'm a missionary and a pastor, I'm going to give you a little bit of the Word of God, not as much as your pastor, who's a theologian, will do, because I'm going to wrap in some missionary vibe with it. But really, it's all the same. What God is doing, if you can just grab onto three words, and for the purpose of being a preacher and alliteration, they all start with R. If you could grab onto three words today, you would kind of understand the heart of my message, and it's not complicated at all. Everybody say redeem. So God wants the restoration of his glory as he's building his kingdom is of utmost importance to God, and it should be of utmost importance to us as well. And the third word is return. He is coming back. We used to be really fired up about that in the 60s in the Jesus movement. You know, we were talking about 1980s or whatever. Then with the millennium bug and the new millennium, people got really all hot about that again. Uh, there's been predictions and things going around the internet and kind of it's died off again. Uh, I think we should still be looking for the return of our Lord. Amen? I don't know the day and the hour. I don't chart. I don't make predictions. I'm just supposed to be trying to reach people for Jesus Christ because he is coming back. So what in the world is our God doing? He's going to redeem, say it. He wants to restore his glory and he's going to return. Have you ever thought about the fact that our God is a missionary God? Missionaries go into foreign territory. Missionaries are sent ones. Apostle, apostolos, a sent one with a message. Our God is a missionary God. He came. We sang it in at least two of the worship choruses. We talked about God coming to save and coming to redeem. So when we teach missions, a world-famous course called Perspectives on World Missions, we teach people, we start in the book of Genesis with the call of Abraham, and we build upon that. Now, the thing that's amazing, and if I refer to Islam and Muslims, just give me a break and realize that that's the focus in heart right now. But as I said in the core class this morning in Sunday school, if you want to reach anybody who is difficult or different or off your radar, we've seen that the steps for reaching out to Buddhists or Muslim or agnostics or people that are really hostile to the gospel or whatever, we've seen basically the same steps work in almost every case. So we come to bless people. We, when we begin to build a relationship and start to talk to them, especially Muslims, they love it when we talk about Abraham. Now, they're going to go Abraham and Ishmael, obviously, and we let them talk about that and go there and all that stuff because we don't go to argue or to correct And I need you, church, because you're backing us, I need you to understand something. God did not call me to change anybody's religion. Hmm. God did not call me to change anyone's religion. Can I get a witness? God did not call me to change anyone's sexual identity. God called me to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? God called me to love my neighbor as myself. Amen? 
And God called me to share the gospel at every opportunity. He invades the human heart like he invaded planet Earth. He does the changing by the power of his grace and his Holy Spirit and his word. We don't tell Muslims, come to Meridian Baptist Church. We tell them, let's have a discussion about Jesus the prophet and compare our two scriptures, the Bible and the Quran, and see how they line up. It's an inescapable fact to me that our God is a missionary God who came to seek and save that which was lost. Easy question. Are most Muslims lost without Christ? Yes. We've been told they cannot be saved. I can't find that in the Bible. We've been told they're children of Satan. Hmm. Well, all of us are alienated from God and enemies of the cross and opposed to God in our sin and all that stuff, but they're still the children of Abraham. So number two, God wants to restore his glory. Our scripture text this morning was perfect. We're to lift up his name. We're to bring him glory in the nations. My God wants to restore his glory. He's had a plan through the ages of saving people, building a kingdom, and restoring his rightful glory as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I honestly believe that in the heart of man, even in our wickedness, I believe people are looking for peace and hope and good leadership and a reason and a purpose for their existence. I believe when people are created Imago Dei in the image of God, he places something inside them to be dissatisfied with sin. We love it on one hand, and yet it doesn't ever satisfy. We're always grasping, always reaching for more, something new, something better, something bigger, something with more of a thrill, more of a kick. That's what we did in the 60s, and we ended up in all kinds of weird, bad situations. God is going to bring about his own rightful glory one day, and we are to tell that to the nations. I have friends, and I love them, but they think that protesting and holding a sign is going to change the world. Well, I don't know. I think that's going to just tick off a lot of people. I'd rather spend my time in a relationship talking about God and talking about why I serve him, why I worship him, why I want to honor him and commit my life to him, because he's worthy of the glory. We're simply to tell the good news. And as he restores people, that is the greatest miracle. People have asked me, Dan, is it true that in the Middle East and some places that Muslims are having dreams and visions that are prompted by God? I believe, yes, that is true. But there still needs to be a human and there still needs to be the word of God active with the gospel 
to bring someone to Christ. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 that he delivered us how Jesus died and was buried and resurrected according to the scriptures. So when we begin to talk about the true and one and only living God, now I'm going to deviate a little bit. This isn't the same with Buddhists and Hindus and some other people that are pantheistic or whatever, but Muslims strongly are monotheistic, as are Jewish people. So we've got common ground, at least right there, we believe in only one true God. Matter of fact, if you talk to Muslims and don't say about church and don't mention the Billy Graham crusade and don't talk about even Christianity sometimes, if you say, I'm a follower of the one true God, they pay attention to that. And if you talk about the way, before you even talk about Jesus, because they have a one true path, according to the Quran, and you begin to talk about some things, the, the God that we serve is to be worshipped. He is to be revered and highly and holy up. I was amazed, Pastor Rob, to find out that one of the mistakes I was making was taking my Bible, and I'm a Bible marker. Anybody mark up your Bible? Highlight, notes, put cross-references and all that stuff. I do that to help me remember, and when I turn to the page, I can find stuff, and it's a, it's a trigger and all this other stuff. I didn't even realize for the longest time that was greatly offensive to Muslims. Their book is holy and sacred. Matter of fact, when I go to the mosque, it's on a shelf and it's up high. It's high in the room. A Muslim would never do this with the Quran. That demeans, that belittles, that humiliates, that commonizes their sacred text. And I have a zipper in one of my Bibles, and I'll just throw it in the back of my car. I'll throw it on the chair. We go to a restaurant or whatever. Somebody says, hey, your Bible? I say, yeah, just throw it over there. I even realize what I was saying to my Muslim friends is that's not really important. That's not really the word of God. It's simply just a book. And I had it all marked up and highlighted. So now I'm really, really careful about that. They believe God is worthy of respect, and honor, and reverence. So do I. Do you? I know you do. But see, we don't always show that in America. We don't always show that in the American church. So first of all, God wants to redeem. He wants to restore his glory. God is to get the glory in everything. Not mankind, not me, not you, not a politician, <gasps> not a rock star. Listen to this quote a friend sent me last week. When ministry becomes performance, then the sanctuary becomes a theater, the congregation becomes an audience, worship becomes entertainment, and man's applause and approval becomes the measure of success. But when ministry is for the glory of God, his presence begins to move into the sanctuary, and even an unsaved visitor should be able to sense that there's something here, and there's something powerful, and there's something different. Brothers and sisters, I believe God 
is working with us to redeem the nations. I believe God wants to restore his glory and his rightful place. And I believe if the unsaved in our world could get a glimpse of the glory of God and his truth and his majesty, I believe lives would be changed. I'm afraid they get too much churchianity, too much legalism, too much Americana, too much of a culture mixed with. I asked my class of Middle Eastern people, how do you feel about Donald Trump? And I could almost sense hair going up on the backs of their necks. And they wanted to know if I would engage in some of this political stuff or whatever. Well, I'm teaching the Constitution, so I taught about the right and responsibility we have as Americans to participate in the democratic process, but I wouldn't let them pull me into a debate on which candidate I like or don't like. I would rather, if they really want to know my heart, I'd rather focus on where my allegiance really lies. And that's in another kingdom and not here. Now, I shared in Sunday school class, there's a two-sided coin of our ministry because we have rights and responsibilities as citizens of this great nation, as a teacher, as a husband, as a father, and as a grandfather. Uh, I have rights and responsibilities I was called, I volunteer at El Cajon Valley High School in El Cajon, California. We have about 2,000 high school students. Almost 1,000 of them have recently arrived to America. I'm a tutor. I help with ESL with the refugees. They bring them to me in the library. We call it an after-school program. We call it night library. They bring to me kids from Mexico, kids from Sudan, kids from Iraq, kids from Afghanistan, kids from Somalia, kids from all over the world. Sometimes they smile. They can't even speak English at all. And the kids come up and they plop their books on the table and they've got a literature book like that thick and a history or civics book and an algebra book. I toss that one because math is from Satan. <laughs> Humor. Just kidding. It just breaks my heart though that these kids are given these assignments and they're given a a Chromebook that's online all the time. They're doing PowerPoints and make notes and respond to their teacher and submit stuff and post stuff. And they're doing all these stuff and these little tablets and everything. And some of them just don't even have a clue. I believe God is bringing them here so we can love them and share the gospel. But one day they said, you need to have a brief orientation meeting. And I said, okay, what? And they said, well, security, if you're in the library, you need to know the protocol. Here's the drill. The library at Elko and Valley High School apparently is one of the safest buildings in the whole city. It has no windows. It has no back door. It only has one double door, a little smaller than that. And right on the other side of the glass double door is a roll-down solid steel door. Behind the desk, we have a special key 
hanging on a hook, and you go over, there's these different little light switch-like boxes, whatever. You go anywhere around the library, insert this key, and flip the key, and it cuts all the power to the lights. That door can't be lifted. And we are to get all the students and staff in the back of the library as far away as we can from the door and lay down on the floor. I'm not kidding you. This is what we were told. In the dark, lay down on the floor. Don't move and don't make any noise. Active shooter on campus. When I was growing up, we had earthquake drills. Yes? When I was growing up, we had fire drills. Yes? At Elkhorn Valley High School and American campuses all over, we now have active shooter drills. Dear God in heaven, what is happening in my country and in my world? And I said, Okay, so we got one level protocol. If there's an area alert, active shooter in the area. We got a second level protocol, lockdown, active shooter on campus. I said, what if the bad guy or bad guys get in the library before we can lock down, roll down the door and kill the power and everything? You want to make a guess as to what we were told as staff? Whatever it takes to stop, stop the shooter, that's what you do. I preached in our Arabic-speaking church, what, three weeks ago, Deb, four weeks ago? And I got Fadi, one of the young men, plays the keyboard. I asked him to come up here, and he's a student in college, and stand here. And I told this story, and I said, Fadi, I would get in front of you I barely know you. My job as a teacher would be to get in front of you if I had to and shield you with my body, even give my life for a student who's a stranger. Does that freak out any of you as parents or grandparents, or does that make you feel actually good that a teacher would go to that extreme? Here's the thing. Hundreds and hundreds of these students are Muslims. And I told that in the church, and Pastor McGram translated what I was saying in English into Arabic, and people were crying. I would give my life for a kid at Elkhorn Valley High School. Would you? In the mall, would you? Would you want somebody to do that for your kids at your high school, junior high, middle school, elementary, daycare, preschool? Would you save a kid's life? How can we understand this? And we don't understand that when God uses us to share the gospel, we're saving a soul from eternal hell. By the way, in case you've never heard this, so many people are moving in the world right now, we can track them from outer space. And it's famous on the internet because they're talking about lights going out, where war and famine and ISIS and terrorism comes. They watch from outer space as it gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. 
and I see in my world without the gospel, without the light of Jesus Christ, I see my world getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Acts chapter 10, verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Peter goes on from there and preaches about Jesus Christ. And we can't give the good news of the gospel without mentioning the fact that he is coming back. He is building a kingdom. There will be a forever home. And as much as we love the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God, there's the fear of God. There's the wrath of God. There's the destruction of God. There will be the judgment of God. But brothers and sisters, you must know that of the millions of Muslims on this planet, they have no hope for heaven. Common Islamic teaching is there's an angel on one shoulder recording the good deeds, an angel on the other shoulder recording the bad deeds, and there will be scales. By the way, you've seen that in the cartoons, little people on the shoulders, like Tom and Jerry cartoons and all that. That's where that idea came from, Islam. They believe there's scales and balances. You've heard about this weighing the good deeds and bad deeds. That idea comes from Islam, from the Hadith and from the Quran and from the teachings of Muhammad and his followers. And they believe there's a bridge and people are going to walk over this bridge and there's flames and hell underneath. And if God is not pleased or just even randomly, God will just flick people off into the flames of hell forever. I've talked to Muslim after Muslim after Muslim, and they tell me they're afraid of God. They're afraid of judgment. I've talked to Muslim after Muslim after Muslim who tell me we hate Islam. Muslim terrorists killed my family, and we were good Muslims. We've heard from Muslims that Islam is broken and it doesn't work. We have no peace. We've heard from Muslims that they don't have any hope of eternity unless maybe they commit an act of jihad, and then maybe they'll get in the presence of God and paradise and get virgins and all that stuff. Now let me end with one of the saddest stories I've heard recently. Deb and I let go to downtown El Cajon, beautiful park, cool restaurants all around, called the Promenade in El Cajon. And the sponsors in El Cajon in the city and all that, they have hot rod shows and antique car shows. And you can go, they close off the street and there's like canopy set up and there's barbecue. You can get Iraqi food. You can get kebab in one. You get carne asada tacos in the other one. And there's Muslims walking with burqas and everything right next to, to Mexicans with their pants hanging down a little bit. And there's a lowrider car bouncing up and down in their hydraulics right next to some old guy wearing a fake Hawaiian shirt next to his hot rod. And they, the, the city closes for everything. Mother Goose Parade. This is a summer concert. Every Friday night, from spring to the end of fall, we have free concerts. There's a make-believe Neil Diamond. There's a Beach Boy sound alike. There's an Elvis. If you like rock or blues or country, the venue changes every week. And thousands of people come to this park all year long for different things. 
and right on the other side of where I sit with my collapsible camp chair and listen to a wannabe Beach Boys band with my shorts and my Diet Coke and my sandals, and I'm just having a blast. I'm watching this year after year. So, oh God, I go to my friends at the First Baptist Church, which is locked up tight, looks like a reform school. There's gates and barbed wire and razor wire in the back, and they're locked up like the powers of hell aren't going to get in there to that church. And I go to my friends, one of my buddies I went to seminary with, and I love him, ex-Navy guy, pastor, heart for the homeless, great guy. And I say, hey, man, why don't we set up a table? You've got the Red Cross there. You've got the Army recruiters there. You've got the gay rights people there, the animal rights people there, the Hot Rod Club rights people there. You've got everybody there. Why don't we set up a table and have some literature, talk to people? Why don't we get bottles of cold water? You could invite them to church. We'll come. We're not even from First Baptist. We'll come and we'll help you. We'll ask people, can we pray for you? Is there anything we can pray about? Is there any way our church will do this? And then you know what they said? Unequivocally, guess what the church said? No. I said, what? You're right here. <laughs> Literally, you walk down the steps and out the door, there's all these people. And they said, no. So here's our three pastors. We call them the three A pastors. The American. The gentleman is black. Pastor Roland, my boss. Pastor Ben. Vietnamese, Asian, and Pastor McRam, who I'm flying to Sacramento with early Wednesday morning to check out a new ministry site and something we'd like to bring to our city. He represents the Arabic-speaking community. And we're, Lord willing, we're going to add an amigo, <laughs> a Spanish-speaking service next month on Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening. So I close with this. The little guy in the middle, Pastor Ben, was a boat people. Anybody remember hearing about that or reading about that? Bunch of Vietnamese refugees ended up in the San Diego area and no one knew what to do with them. Somehow a pastor got called in his office and somebody in his leadership said, I want you to drive down there and meet these people, listen to them, find out their story, see if there's anything we can do. This pastor drove down there, met Pastor Ben, his wife, and his little daughter, Lynn. Couldn't speak a word of English. They were traumatized. They had been in boats. They had been in war. They escaped bad guys and bombs and machetes and all kinds of stuff. And they didn't have a clue what to do. This pastor and his wife adopted this family. loved them, and said, we will engage with this family. We can't take six families. We can take this one family. Now look closely at the picture of that little guy. Because this picture was made two months ago when we celebrated his 40th anniversary at being at our church as the sponsor and lead pastor of the Vietnamese Baptist Mission in San Diego, California. That little guy, Pastor Ben, has preached around the world. He's written more than 20 books. He has a male ministry to prisons and Vietnamese-speaking people and a newsletter that's printed thousands of copies and goes all around the world. 
and from his little group at our church in El Cajon, get your seatbelt on, that man and his family have started 138 churches in America in 37 different states while losing his wife to cancer, while raising his daughter Lynn, who's the piano player in their church, while pastoring his church, he's done that. You should say praise God. You should say praise God. Because that's the work of God in the life of a person. But our sovereign God is moving the nations. Lines, borders mean nothing to your God. God loves the ethnos, people groups. God cares about people. And they're moving around the world, migration and immigration and fleeing and getting loose and staying in refugee camps. And this stuff is going on like never before in the history of the planet. Could it be? Is it possible that God got this guy and his wife and his baby girl on a boat to get them to America to hear the gospel? Is it possible that God who knows everything and is sovereign and who calls people to salvation and who plans everything, is it possible God was working and using an American pastor to say, I'll love that family. By the way, after Pastor Ben spoke and Pastor Roland Slade spoke and Pastor McGram spoke, the pastor who adopted him is still working with people. He's 95 years old. And he walked up to the platform and he gave God the credit and God the glory. And now they're working with Africans and Middle Eastern people. Your heart's big enough. You have enough time. You have enough money. You have enough resource. All you have to do is care. You speak English. Many people coming here want English. They're never going to speak it well in an ESL class. They need a relationship to talk real English conversations with Americans. You have a car. They need rides to the DMV, to the doctor, to the hospital. You have a home. Middle Eastern and Asians love hospitality. They'll spend hours and hours. Cornelius took them in, and he said, I've gathered my whole family to hear the message that God said you're bringing. And Peter opened his mouth and said, I'm beginning to understand something. It's not just for the people of Israel. It's for the Gentiles too. And I'm beginning to understand something else. Apparently, God doesn't care where people come from or what their situation or what their station in life if they will fear God and honor Him and have a heart that's seeking Him he will answer. He will respond. Testimony. My mom and her partner were active in gay rights. They took me to gay clubs, parties, and campouts. I marched in gay pride parades and went to political events. That was just my life. I hated Christians because I saw how they treated gay people. 
At the, at the end of one parade, I saw signs saying, God hates you. Protesters were spraying water and urine on people in the gay parade. I asked my mom, why are they acting that way? She said, Caleb, they're Christians, and Christians hate gay people. My dad and I sometimes attend an Episcopal church. But that didn't teach me much about God. I was an altar boy, but I fell asleep most of the time. I learned that evangelicals were people that didn't like you unless you were a white Republican. God help me. I'm a white Republican. God help me. My father, who has a plan for the ages, the missionary God, came to earth, made this incredible plan of redemption. The Lamb of God will one day be praised in heaven by every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. My father deserves his glory to be restored the rightful place among the nations. Rejoice and make glad and sing. Lift up his praises. Tell the nations of his marvelous works. Because my God is one day going to return. Brothers and sisters, what is he calling you to do? What life can God use you to touch and change and make a difference? God bless you. Let's just take a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed to take a moment to pause, to pray, to consider what it is that God may be calling us to do. How would he like you to respond to the talk this morning? Father, I do thank you for the fact that you are returning the fact that you are restoring and that you are redeeming. Let us see that we're part of that story. That we once were lost. We once were alienated from you. But yet, Father, you came, you sent your son to make right what had went wrong. And I pray, Lord, that we would be bold and our preaching bold, and our teaching bold, and our witnessing bold in our life in sharing that good news. We ask that you'd make us sufficient for such things, that you'd give us, give us compassion for such things, and Lord, that you'd give us that compulsion to do so today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.